is Johnny, one of the pastors here. If you want to uh, get ready, we're going to be in Matthew 11, so if you have your Bibles, we'll, we'll get there eventually. But uh, if, you were, if you weren't here with us last week, we started a new series called Rest for Your Souls. And uh, we're starting a, a series this month just talking about different practices, different ways in which we can discover the rest that Jesus has for us in the way of Jesus. And so just to sum up it, just to lay some groundwork, uh, we just laid this groundwork that this idea that you have a soul and there is a, a condition and a well-being to your soul. And so we are going to talk about how do we have rest and wholeness and well-being to our soul. And so before I start preaching, we are, are going to, I'm going to read this scripture and, uh, and it's going to kind of guide our prayer It's going to guide our series, and it's going to guide our teaching this morning. It comes out of Jeremiah 6, verse 16, and it says this. It says, this is what the Lord says. He says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. So Jesus, we come to you, and a crossroads moment often uh, with the new year, it's an opportunity that we often stand and we reflect and we can just see the, and like just all the different possibilities and all the different ways that are ahead of us in this year of 2023. And we specifically ask, would you show us the good way? Would you show us and give vision to the ways that you have for us? the ways that you are inviting us to walk in. And may God, it it may not just stay at asking, and may we have the courage to actually walk in obedience on those paths you're inviting us into. That we would say yes to all that you have for us, that we we would just grow in a deep trust with you, that we would take those steps in order to, to walk those ways. And then finally, as we walk those ways, we would have rest for our souls that you promise. And so uh, my prayer is that we would experience this, that, that uh, this would guide us for the year ahead. And God, I just pray just a, a special just a, um, anointing on this, on this message, because I, I feel like this is, is something to project and launch us in all the different things you're inviting us into. May we encounter your presence and your kingdom this morning. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to start off with a story. Uh, This happened about three to four years ago. I remember my wife uh, got a phone call from her sister. And her sister was a little uh, frantic on the other end uh, because what had happened is, uh, I think earlier that year, uh, she got a Roomba uh, as a gift. And uh, her dog decided to leave a present um, right before the Roomba started making its rounds, all right? And uh, let's just say the, the present was a little on the softer side. And um, it decided to, you know, the Roomba was very generous. And, you know, uh, the, that little present needed a ride. And so it decided to give it a ride all throughout the house. And what was meant to be something of a convenience to clean all the carpet turned into a little bit of a nightmare where the, that present was all around the house. And now you're like, should I get a Roomba or not, right? Those are like, or a dog. There's other ways. But there's these things, right? This Roomba technology. If you think about it, it has this power to come into our house on its own, clean our house. And I just want you to imagine for a moment, just in a hypothetical situation, 
like you got to have a conversation with maybe your great-great-grandmother, and you got to tell her like how you spend your time, right? So maybe, hopefully many, many of you never met your great-great-grandmother, but just imagine for a moment um, what that conversation would go like of how you spend your time, uh, what's available to you, how, what, how do you re- what revolves around your life. And so you begin to tell her like one of the central key things, right, is like the internet. And you got to explain to her what the internet is and how we're all dependent on the internet in a sense. And yet with, this, with the internet and computers, it opens up all these possibilities and how we need it for our work. And yet it, it brings the technology for our phones and apps and all these different things. And yet so you begin to tell her, uh, like even talking about housework, that now at our fingertips we have, we have these robotic sweepers who will clean our floors. Um, I know a friend who has a robotic... Um, um, like a little lawnmower that just like is like this robotic goat that just grazes around her house and, uh, and, and like it's just clipping the, the grass all the time. Uh, just think of the role of like the dishwasher. We have this technology that can actually sense how dirty your dishes are and it determines how many cycles your dishwasher runs. And same thing with uh, our washing machines and dryers. Like I, I heard an advertisement, you know, uh, a couple days ago where it was, it was advertising that you could do a load of laundry in 26 minutes, you know. Uh, there's all these elements of technology that's saving our time. And then just think about cooking, Right. Uh, I, I just started writing these down. We have Ninja Foodies. We have Air Fryers, Instapots. We have pre-programmed coffee brewers, microwaves, vacuum sealers, smoothie makers, KitchenAid mixers with all the attachments, right? We have all these appliances, and then your grandmother's like, yeah, I cooked everything by scratch with my, you know, with my oven, and uh, we had a garden, and we'd have to can and do all these things in order to leave. And then you talk about shopping, Right? And how we have this new technology of click lists, and you get to have someone shop for you, and you just get to show up or get it delivered. And then Amazon can deliver things in moments. And then if you don't feel like cooking, guess what? There's DoorDash, right? There's these things that if you don't feel like cooking, you just have somebody deliver you your meal. And what, just as this hypothetical thing we're thinking of, what would your great-great-grandmother be like? Man, you mu- your life must be so easy, isn't it? Like, you have all this extra time, all these things that are being done for you. You must have a life of just untold leisure, right? You just get to sit back, relax. Your, your souls must be so restful. You must have so much time for all these things, and we would laugh in her face, right? Uh, because that's not reality. It's this idea. We have all this technology at us that's making our life easier, but as we're learning, and what this this message is based on, is we're more than just physical beings, and these technologies may make life more convenient, like I'm thankful for a dishwasher and a washer and dryer, but it doesn't impact some of the things that are us, and actually may be even in a sense, more detrimental, right, to this idea. Because every human person is a heart, soul, mind, strength complex that's designed for love, right? If you look at the words of Jesus and his reinforcement of of the greatest commandment, it's, it's this idea every human person is a heart, soul, mind, strength complex designed for love. 
And unfortunately, right, there's no technologies or technological advancements or instruments or devices that can bring about like this internal well-being or rest for our souls. There's no even future thing of self-driving cars or flying cars or human jetpacks. Maybe human jetpacks, I don't know. That's going to bring about that wellness to our soul and our mind and our strength and our hearts. And so we're going to ask again, what is the good way? Let's walk in it and find rest for our souls. There is one instrument, though, that Jesus promises that if we implement this instrument into our life, that we can find rest for our souls. So in Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30, we're going to read about this thing that Jesus offers us um, for us. In verse 28, he says to this, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, Take my yoke and learn from me, because I am lonely and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So we got to start off with this, this passage, is this idea of a yoke, because I don't think many of you probably had a yoke on your Amazon wish list for Christmas. Um, but what is a yoke? And let's see what the implications of this yoke is. So that yoke is this instrument I'm going to show a picture of, uh, but it has a lot of different symbolism in the scriptures. Because depending on what the yoke is affixed to, dependent on what that benefit or that brought. And so, in, in one sense, a yoke was actually a negative, because it was a sign if that yoke was affixed to something like a, a, a different uh, power, like the Babylonians, that this was a, an oppressive thing, that it, it was a sign of oppression or even slavery, that Ezekiel prophesied that, that this coming Messiah would break the yoke of oppression over the Israelites. So in one sense, the, the yoke could be seen as a, a sign of slavery or oppression depending on what it was affixed to. But also, and so the encouragement was, these Israelites were to have this yoke on the law of God, like God's instructions, or you think about his scriptures, that, that part of following God was affixing or having this yoke to the, to the yoke of the law because it was this honor that you are to, the motive behind it was to honor and respect God. But very quickly it turned into now rabbis would have their own yoke, which would be their set of teaching and their interpretations of this law. So for example, like one of the laws uh, we'll talk a little bit more about in this coming weeks was this idea of Sabbath. And so there's this, this command, this law to, to set this one day to be set to be holy. Yet what, what they would do is they would have these interpretations of then determining what truly makes it holy. And, and so they would add these additional laws or these additional things in order to prevent you from breaking that law. So it got really specific to say you could only have this many steps in a day. If you, if you, have this, if you go over this number of steps, then you'd be breaking the law. You'd be breaking this law. And so every rabbi would kind of have these interpretations and have these additional laws. What eventually became, though, became this huge burden on the people because it felt like not only were now they not um, breaking the Sabbath, but they were breaking all these other laws that were just like man-made laws. And so, again, it became an idea of the yoke was this oppression. It was heavy. Yet then Jesus comes along and says his yoke is actually light. His, his yoke is not a burden. It actually will bring a rest. And so this encouragement for all of us is to take up Jesus' yoke. 
So the answer to being weary and tired and burdened and overwhelmed soul is not no yoke. It's we still need a yoke. We still need a yoke to walk in. Frederick Dale Bruner, uh, he's a, a scholar on the Gospel of Matthew. He said it this way. He said, a yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his yoke, his teaching, which includes the Sermon on the Mount, will develop, uh, develop in us a balance and a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way we have been living. Here's the idea. We, we need a yoke. We need to affix ourselves onto something, one that doesn't, isn't one that's going to bring oppression or slavery, one that's going to bring freedom and lightness to our life. Because here's the idea. The whole power and purpose of a yoke was, right, to, to, to join two animals, all right? And so I'm going to use this. If, if I have some farmers in the room, uh, you may get this. But does anybody know the, the amount of weight that a draft horse can pull by its own? Anybody have any idea? Anybody guesses? I feel like this is like, you know, a little game show. Anybody? Nobody wants to take a stab? 8,000 pounds is the max, all right? I thought I'd have a little more anticipation. People maybe get it. 8,000 pounds. Um, a draft horse can pull around 8,000 pounds at the max, all right? Can anybody guess how many two draft horses can pull? Oh, see, some of you know this. See, now you're ready to answer to show off, all right? I get it. So many of us might go, well, two draft horses, 8,000 plus 8,000, that means they can pull 16,000, right? But the reality is, if you have two draft horses and they have a yoke together, they can actually pull 24,000 pounds together, okay? Here's where, though, if they get trained and they are trained together, they can actually pull 32,000 together. So they can pull four times the amount when they have a yoke. And this is the power of, right, of a yoke and the, the reason we need a yoke. Because the reality is life will throw us 8,000 pounds, doesn't it? Life throws 8,000 pounds at us all the time. And we can maybe pull it for a little bit, right? We may be able to pull it at our max, but we're not going to be able to pull it, what, very long. How much does 8,000 pounds compare to 32,000 pounds? It's light, right? It's a light compared to what we have to do on our own. And here's what we're made, is we are made to have a yoke where on the other end of it is Jesus. There's all these other things we can try to yoke ourselves to, but the reality is, is this invitation Jesus gives us is that if we put our yoke attached to him where as we're pulling life, we're realizing we're not pulling it alone. We have someone who's pulling it with us and the reality is he's taking the bulk of that burden, isn't he? And we get to walk in step with him. And just like the draft horses, right, there's a training that's involved and this is what Jesus says, right? If, if we want to experience this, lo this yoke, 
If we want this kind of life, because I think all of us want that. Most of us want an easy life, if we're real honest, right? We just want an easier life. And technology often presents us as a way to have an easier life. But easy, an easier life is not, the, is not an option. What we need is a light burden, a light yoke. And so what he calls us to in the scripture is he says, learn from me. Learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart. See, in that, that quote I just mentioned, it, it's a new way to carry life. Dallas Willard, uh, he has this little article. I'd encourage you to read it, the whole thing. I'm going to summarize it in one sentence that he said. If you Google The Secret to the Easy Yoke by Dallas Willard, he has a great little article about this. Because the secret, he says, involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. His promise is, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And in this article, he, he compares the, uh, like, baseball players or pro athletes or even, heck, spelling bee, you know, uh, participants. Like, all of them have a lifestyle, right? But many of us just want to mimic, on a sense, like, what they do. So growing up, I was a baseball player. I loved, even though I was not left-handed, uh, mimicking Ken Griffey Jr. He had, like, this, the prettiest swing, whatever, right? And there was one element of it's, it's nice to mimic him, but the reality is I'm not doing anything like Ken Griffey Jr., right? Because I don't have the lifestyle of that. I don't have the lifestyle of what they put onto it. Yeah, I mean, many of us, we, we see what these pro athletes do on a Sunday and how they throw a football. But if you look at their lives and their style, like their whole thing revolves around their lifestyle. And so this challenge for us is, is, is to look at the lifestyle of Jesus, look at the things he did, and then not just in a sense to believe Jesus, but to follow him in such a way that we adopt his kind of lifestyle. John Mark Comer in his book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he says, it's often quoted that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. But that's exactly what we do. We get a vision of the kind of life that is possible in Jesus. We go to church or we read a book or we listen to a podcast we catch a glimpse of the kind of life we ache for, one of emotional health and spiritual life. Our gut immediately says, yes, God, I want that life. We head home from church with all the willpower we can muster, and we set out to change, but then we go right back to living the exact same lifestyle, and nothing changes. It's the same cycle on repeat, stress, tiredness, distraction. We feel stuck yet again. And we wonder, what am I missing? Honestly, the solution is very simple. If you want to experience the life, to the full of life that Jesus promises, it's his nonstop, his, his nonstop conscious enjoyment of God's presence um, and, and in the world, all you have to do is not only adopt his theology and ethics, but also his, law, his lifestyle. Just follow his way. And so when you follow of Jesus, we, we not only just need to to know the right things, but also to practice the right things, to have that yoke he offers us. And so one of the things we are going to look at, one of those practices 
we are going to uh, narrow in on. I encourage you to take time this week and this month and this year to implement into your life the lifestyle of Jesus. I'm going to read this scripture as Luke 5, 15 through 16. It says, But the news about him spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him, to be healed of their sickness. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. One of the things we're going to look at the lifestyle of Jesus, one of the things we're going to challenge each of us to implement for the rest of our souls is the practice of withdrawing, the need to withdraw from the busyness of life, the need to, to step away, to, to turn this thing off, to get away from certain things, because at, at, a, at a deep sense, we, we need, we were made to withdraw. Because, and not just to withdraw to zone out, but also with the intention of, of engaging and connecting with God. Um, so right before I got this job, I had to go through a, a psychological analysis with my wife to make sure I'm not too crazy uh, to get this job. Barely passed, all right? You're in good hands, all right? But one of the things uh, at the end is, is um, this, this psychologist, who they, they do these studies and help churches with a lot of different things. Um, but even on, in, a, in a practical level, he said with, with having three young kids and the, being a senior pastor, there's a lot of stress. He said, think of this like a prescription of doctor's orders is you and your wife need at least three times a year need to go away for two nights. Uh, and it's like, that's the best prescription any doctor has ever given me, right? But what, what, was, what was he trying to communicate? His reality is, even in a, in a marriage relationship, because uh, you need that time to withdraw, to connect, to have intimacy, because that relationship needs time to, to get away from distraction and demands. When kids are like crying at you, like wanting all these different things, it's really hard to connect with your spouse. It's really hard to have uninterrupted conversations. And so what he was saying is for your well-being of your soul and the well-being of your relationship, you need to get away. You need to get away. And then when you're, when you're away, you need to be able to connect and have intimacy because your relationship is built on those things. And what, what he's trying to communicate and what I'm trying to say this is Jesus modeled this. It's the same for us, right, in our relationship with God. Our souls were made at a, to connect at a deep intimacy and union with our, with our God. At, at the heart of it, our soul means it's like God's breath in us. And so in order for this, this condition of God's breath to be in us, to be well, to be whole, we need to withdraw, to get away and be with him. Just think of this. I want you to listen to this, this psalm. David understood this in Psalm 42. He says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Like at the heart of this, if we're going to have a well-being of our souls, we need this idea, this practice to withdraw, to get away. So there's two aspects of that. There's an aspect of it being in solitude, to get alone. To, Jesus went into the deserted places to get away from the crowds. And it's the same thing with us. We need to have somehow carve time. I'd recommend some, in some instance, in a, in a daily basis or a weekly basis, and even extended times um, for a little longer time to just get away, 
to feed and water the nourishment of your soul. And then there's a specific aspect of there's just being silence, an, an opportunity to just get present to God, get present to his love for us. And I pray if you're married to do that as well. That should be advice not just for senior pastors, but for anybody who's married, or even just friendships. Like, we need that time away, right, to connect. And so one of the challenges, I'm, 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 the practices for the rest for our souls is, again, find time. And, and I would even take a moment, I'm going to be a little quiet, and just actually take some time to think through when you're going to do that. Like, is it, is it first thing in the morning? Can you, can you just get away? And you may have to ask, you know, your spouse or somebody like, hey, I need 30 minutes to an hour just to get away to withdraw. Can you help me in that? Right? So think through maybe a specific time in your day. And if you, if you can, if you can make it work, you know, plan maybe once a quarter a time for extended time to get away with God. And to close, and so figure that out. And because here's the thing, if we're going to have rest for our souls, we need to connect deeply with God. I'm going to read this passage again, and I'm going to have the, the worship team come up because we're going to, um, I'm going to close in, a, in a, a different way. But I'm going to read this scripture again because, you know, I do what pastors do, and I only use the verses that I like, you know, um, in the Jeremiah 6. Um, thank you, Donald. All right. All um, right. But when we read Jeremiah 6, um, I didn't read you the full verse. And I'm actually going to read the next verse. In Jeremiah 6, 16, it says, This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Right? This is God speaking to his people. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, talking to the people, we will not walk in it. I appointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But you said, we will not listen. Church, we've been given an invitation, don't we? Jesus says, come to me. Jesus is saying to you, come to me. I want you to hear that. This isn't like this religion of a, another thing that you feel like you have to do. Jesus is asking if you don't have this yoke attached to him, he's inviting you to take that off. Come to me. This is this invitation. This is the good way. And my hope is we wouldn't say we will not walk in it. I hope that's not our response. I hope our response isn't, we will not listen. I hope our, and pray that our response is, we will walk in it. We will listen. Because you have rest for our souls that we can't get anywhere else. And friends, I feel like it, for the challenge for us culturally, I, I know there's lots of different types of evangelism and different things, but what, just what if, the rest of our souls, the well-being of our souls is the light that gets to shine in this dark world. That people see this, this new way of carrying life and they go, I want that yoke. 
I want that yoke that you're attached to. And you get to say, it's, it's, it's not me. I'm just a small little pony attached to the draft horse of Jesus. And he's pulling the load. I want you to stand and worship with me as we close.